0: This is Robbie. Welcome to Uncharted. Thanks for joining us again. School's out for summer, but if your business is running QuickBooks, you'll never get a break. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one cloud financial system, no matter how big your business grows. With visibility and control of your finances, inventory, HR, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. Automate your full process with NetSuite and close your books in time. 93% of businesses surveyed increase their visibility and control since graduating from QuickBooks to NetSuite. The best news for you as an Uncharted listener is you can get their special financing as is back. NetSuite is offering one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to graduate today. Head to netsuite.com slash scale right now. That special financing is at netsuite.com slash scale. That's netsuite.com slash scale. Welcome back everybody. This is Poya. You're on the Uncharted podcast and I have Allison Metcalf, who's the chief revenue officer at Demandbase with us. Allison, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you, Allison. The way we'd love to kick it off for the folks that don't know you, we'd love to maybe incorporate a fun personal bio as well as business bio into one. So let me defer to you to give some context on on your background.
1: I think one of the kind of more interesting things about me is I was very much a failure to launch or delayed to launch uh, person. As I left college, I was very resistant to join the world of grownups. And I traveled and taught English all over the world for about three or four years before I decided to come to San Francisco. Um, And then I think the other thing that's kind of funny in retrospect is growing up in college, I often would do some work for my dad who was an insurance agent which I left that experience being um, quite determined that I was terrible at sales and I wanted nothing to do with business and uh, nothing to do with numbers. And I was going to be a journalist. So none of that came true. And then I ended up out here in San Francisco because I thought it would be cool to live in California. I'm from Minnesota. I had no concept of the startup world. I didn't come here for any other reason other than literally I thought it would be cool to live in California. So a lot of unintended things have happened with my career, given all of that background that kind of makes it an interesting story.
0: It makes for a perfect amount of story. So I got to ask, as a person that's travel taught English, like, is there a moment or story that like time after time that you're like, made you be like, hey, I'm really glad I did this, I did this teaching thing, but I'm really glad to go back to a normal, like nine to five type of role. Anything yeah, crazy I mean- happened?
1: I mean, I think something I often reflect upon is when I, was, I lived in Prague for a period of time and my dad came to visit and I just don't think I had any real recollection of or really any understanding, I should say, of how poor I was. Like, which I just had no money at all. It, but And it just didn't matter at the time. It was like, as long as there was enough money for beer and hot dogs at the beer garden, like life didn't matter. But it was really refreshing. It, it, it really was like one day I woke up and I was like, I, I need to like own a lamp you know, like I need to like, and I remember actually going home to visit my friends in Minnesota and like they had their, their lives were so different from mine. And there did switch, a flip did switch from at one point where I went from not wanting what I was seeing when I went home to feeling kind of bad about myself in terms of how far away I was from their lifestyle. So it was great while it lasted though,
0: for sure. No, of course. It's, uh, I am sure looking back, most of your friends probably envy that they did not travel Mm -hmm. and adventure as much as you have. at least. that was the case for me. You know, sometimes I look back and I'm like, Hey, I wish I got to travel more. So I, I'm actually a little jealous of uh, your travels to say the least.
1: Yeah. I don't regret it. And I think it also traveling really does make you more open-minded and learn, you know, learn a lot about how to deal with all sorts of different people and all sorts of personality styles and things like that. So it's definitely a good investment in your future, even if it doesn't feel like, if, even if it just feels like fun at the time.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. So let's go to like you you kind of make it to San Francisco, you want to live in California, and you go up this like customer success type opportunities at the beginning, right? Versus most people usually, not always, but usually go towards like a sales role. And customer success, like by the time you joined, hadn't even taken off, right? So what dragged you or attracted you to go towards the CS side?
1: So it's actually... I mean, it goes back to the teaching thing too. My final English, English as a second language job was I was in Oxford in the, in England, working for a school. And the way it works is like if you're if you're a kid in Japan and you want to learn English, you will often and your family will often go to an agency in your local community, and that agency will then recommend certain schools in England or America or wherever for you to go and learn and study. And um, the woman who ran our school was really ambitious. And there was like five or six schools in the network. And she was just super ambitious about wanting to beat the other schools and get, you know, we wanted to beat Cambridge, right? And so we had this bananas. And at the time I was doing some part-time teaching and some part-time administrative work for her. And we had this bananas idea. She's like, what if I gave you a little budget and you hit the road, go to a couple key of these key agencies in Europe and build some relationships and see if we can increase their referral rates, you know, to our school from that investment. And we were like, yeah, let's give this a shot, you know? So I went out there and I started doing this and started kind of nurturing these relationships with these agencies and and, and trying to you know figure out what would they need to see for them to start referring us more business. So when it came time to move, I literally was talking to her and I was like, I'm trying to make this resume. I'm trying to figure out what kind of jobs to apply for. And I don't have any idea what to do. And she was the one, she was like, you know, I think you're like, just say you're an account manager. I think that's a thing. And So I literally put my, I made that in my resume and I put it on monster.com, aging myself a little bit here. And Catherine Jung, who was the VP of sales at a company called Equilar, who is now a very close friend of mine to this day. They really liked my teaching background. Uh, And they thought that the teaching background would be really transferable and applicable to training clients on how to use this particular platform. Which by the way, was an executive compensation platform of which I had no business talking about. I mean, like, thank God for Google, right? But that was kind of the the arc, was I wasn't, you know, my teaching skills they thought would, would really translate well to to training and education and adoption methodology for this for this world. And so that's how I got my my foot in the door. And then I think really what happened from there is I am just inherently and innately, I should say, a problem solver. That's really what it is for me. Like I, I really I love solving problems. I it makes I get a lot of energy from it. And so I would just often find ways of things we could do in a better way or better shape or form, and so I I kind of got promoted in that way, and then went to Jigsaw where I had my first kind of founding role, where they they hired me to kind of build out the enterprise customer success function there. And to your point, that's around that's so that's like 2008 2009 when the term customer success becomes a thing. I think Salesforce really coined it, and you know that's that's kind of how I got my start in leadership.
0: Love it. And looking back, right you got your start into leadership the cs background one of the things we were talking about is now you're a chief revenue officer at demandbase how's the cs background like helped you because more often than not it's not always the case but i would say the majority of the time folks that are in a cro role like they come from like i would say a sales background sometimes potentially even a marketing background but yeah. your is, is majority of it is in like the cs background like what advantage has that given you now that you kind of look back
1: well, I think, so a couple of things. So one, when I was running customer success at Jigsaw and at LiveRamp and my other various roles, I was always a very revenue focused CS leader. So my brand of customer success was certain states, you know, earlier stage, very revenue focused. So I, I always had upsell and renewal dollars attached to me. And at both companies, at one point, you know, the upsell starts to like become bigger than the net new dollar number. So I was always kind of a strong sales DNA person anyways. And then for about three or four years at LiveRamp, we actually disbanded functional leadership. And I was a GM for a while of our of us of this TV business that they gave they, you know, they asked me to run it when it was like $12 million and um, it wasn't the talk of the town. Suddenly in ad tech TV became the talk of the town. And so our TV business really exploded. And that's where I had to kind of wear a net new logo hat and a CS hat and an operating hat and a product hat. And so that's, that was the period of time where I expanded beyond customer success. And then at the end of my tenure at LiveRamp, I was running all kind of go-to-market productivity and BD. And so that's where I really fine-tuned my, my data skills. So I really, I would say LiveRamp was really where I did a lot of horizontal growth, right? And I think I talk about the importance of horizontal growth a lot because I think I would never have been considered for this role had I not been able to kind of show that diversity of roles. And so one path I could have taken was just double down on customer success and trying to be a CCO somewhere, but it really wasn't a choice that I made, right? It was like, these were the opportunities that presented themselves and these were interesting problems to go and solve. And so I kind of jumped into that, found some success with those and learned a ton and, and here I am. And I think that the reason that my background in customer success helps me is I think I have observed so many companies focus on selling as the priority and customers as kind of a secondary or third priority and like really focusing on sales productivity and sales efficiency and things like that. And often at the, at the harm and expense of customers. And so it's interesting, like, for example, right now I'm faced with a really big challenge of how to integrate a bunch of companies we recently acquired and what's the right model for that. How are we going to go to market and integrate these other companies and, you know what I'm really challenging my team to do is just think about what is the customer experience, not about what's easiest for us to sell, not about like, you know, you know, internal politics or who wants to do what. It's like, what does the customer want? And I think just to wrap up that answer, I'll also say when Axiom, so when I was at LiveRamp, Axiom acquired LiveRamp, and we did some integrating there. And I think, you know, we got this wrong. In the very beginning, we were very adamant about trying to remain separate because that's what we wanted, you know? Like, we didn't want to worry about integrated. We wanted to keep our things separate. We didn't want to be disrupted. And over and over again, the clients were just like, dude, like, that's a great story that you think you're separate, but to me, you're one company now, and I want to get some like I want to get some benefit from that. And so, can you please stop forcing me to have two conversations with one company? I just want to have the one, you know. So the net net is, I just think that lens that I carry of, of true customer centricity is so innate in me that that helps me as I'm thinking about these go to market strategies.
0: It's the customer mindset, right? Like always having them first be the priority. And you're you're absolutely right. It's not always. Uh consistently valued out of your company. We'll return after a quick advertisement brought to you by Bambi. When running a business, you should focus on two things, building an incredible product and taking it to market in the best and most efficient way possible. You can reach out to the HR professionals at Bambi where they can get you a dedicated HR manager, and they can turn human resources from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Do something I should have done in my past company and do it quick. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or chat. The best part is you can get started today, month to month with no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any given time. Nobody started a business because they wanted to focus their time on HR compliance. You didn't either. And the best news for you today, Bambi can help you and they can help you with a free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash scale right now to schedule your free HR audit. That is Bambi.com slash scale spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot scale. Now that you're at uh, demand base, you did, I would say, your uh, development horizontally at LiveRamp. You got this great opportunity going back to a company that you were at maybe a decade is was there a connection there, like relationships you had built? Is that is that kind of how it happened? You you just had stayed in touch?
1: Oh, totally. So Gabe Rogel, who's the CEO, we did overlap for a while. He had joined Demandbase back in the day to kind of help build out our, our first step into the media business. And Gabe and I are super different, but we get we just for whatever reason, we always got along incredibly well. I, I always loved the guy. Landon, who is our chief people officer was also there. Like, it's really funny. The story Landon loves to tell is I onboarded Landon, you know, when he joined the company. And then the other connection that's really important is Brian Morris, who's the CFO of Demandbase. He was the CFO of LiveRamp when I joined LiveRamp. And I went through the process of selling the company to Axiom with Brian leading that charge. So those three, and then, and then I would say like a lot of the sales, two of the sales leaders were also there when I was there. And I have great relationships with them, and so it certainly made the leap. Because I mean, I this is a cl- I did this like you know in the middle of COVID, and having that foundation of those relationships made it. I mean, just almost in like it's in hard to even calculate how much that helped me. But these are people, you know, Brian, Landon, and Gabe are people I already fundamentally have very high degree of trust with. And so getting to meet John Miller and others has been, you know, that's where I'm kind of focusing my trust building exercising because I already have a great foundation over here.
0: Yeah, which is awesome. Sometimes going with the people you trust is half the battle, right? So, totally. uh, so uh, kudos to you. And now that you've been at demand-based, I would love to, one of the, actually it's, it's a two part question because we were talking about CS. Given your CS background, who do you think owns the CS responsibility? In other words, what I'm trying to say is like, when you think about, is it, should it be owned by the sales team? Should you have a different CS team? Like, what's what's your rule of thumb? This is like another topic that's been somewhat hot and I'm sure it depends, but yeah. what are some like your rule of thumbs, like how people should think about it? Should it be a separate function? Should it be two? Is it, do you have a pod maybe? Like, what, what's the framework there?
1: Well, I think, so it, I mean, I hate to say it depends, but it, it, it depends so much on the product, I think. Like that is like, how complex is the product how many people are you trying to get to adopt it? Is this something that like one person's gonna use or is this something that you want hundreds of people to use at an organization? Like there's all of these different things. And I think where people get in trouble actually is being attached to one certain idea and then trying to force that, implementate, like, force that methodology or that religion or whatever it might be on the company that they're at because it worked somewhere else, you know? And so what I've really tried to do is Work with, and and I will also say the demand base was in a period of transition when I joined. So about a year, maybe I'm, I lose track of time. Let's call it six to eight months or so before I joined, they had made the decision. The former CRO did, who was Gabe, who's now the CEO, to bring sales back in to customers and have them really drive the renewal process. And I think part of that was they were seeing that our renewal cycles were a lot more selling than they were before. And so what you really want to do is like again, you want to match the skills of your team with the needs of the business, but also like what does the customer need. And the reality is for demand base, our new product demand base one is is quite complex, right? it's it's got it's like going from a bicycle to a Ferrari from our old product to our new product. And having people really focus on being kind of the product expert that's going to help you understand how to use this product to meet your goals and separating that from some of the commercial conversations. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a question of capacity, frankly, and focus that is really, really work, working well for us. But you also have to remember that we are a several hundred million dollar company now. And, you know, when we were in the earlier days, customer success could wear one, like many more hats. They could be account manager, they could be commercial, they could be product expert, they could be use case, they could be consultant. As you get bigger and your product gets more complicated, I just think you need some specialization in there. And we we saw the same thing with LiveRamp. But I, I think my biggest advice there is don't get married to one philosophy. And just because it worked somewhere else doesn't mean it's going to work here. Like one of my favorite interview questions I had with a certain board member, he asked me about how I would, you know, how I would deal with a certain problem we were having, demand base was having. And I told him, you know, I, I can't answer that for you. I don't know how I would solve that problem, but I can tell you how I would approach the problem and like what my thought, what my process would be to approaching the problem. But I'm not going to tell you what I would do at LiveRamp, for example, with that issue because LiveRamp and demand base are not the same. And that would be a mistake for me to assume whatever worked at LiveRamp was going to work here.
0: That's yeah, Saw it's, so it's uh, the circumstances change from one company to the next, right? And you always have That's to right. kind of peel back the onion to find out what solution makes sense for different circumstances. So the original question I was gonna ask before I went on the side track is now you've been at demand base, right? And one of the questions I'd love asking C levels when they start in a new company, new role. And the curveball here is you've had to do it during a pandemic where everything's remotely, and I'm sure you have this extrinsic side of you that you like meeting people face to face, what's been one helpful activity or thing like you look back in the last like nine months, that's been very, very helpful for you. And in other words, like if somebody is listening to this and they're starting a new role, even if it's not a C-level like role, like what has helped you kind of get onboarded back to demand base that you want to maybe pay, pay it forward around?
1: Yeah, I mean, totally. So, and it's a very easy answer. And if my team was listening to this, they're all gonna—they're gonna know exactly what I'm gonna say if they they were to listen to this, which I'm sure they will not. But uh, it's been the dashboardization of every single function, and you know, transitioning the company from a company that maybe did a lot of hallway conversations and talk, you know, what have you, to being extremely data driven. I often use this analogy of like I call it the world clocks, where I imagine running an organization of this size, and I want to be careful. I mean. I even reflect on a, a post that Lemkin wrote about different types of VP of sales and different sizes of the companies, like the in the weeds one versus the dashboard running one, right? I'm somewhere in between. I get involved in deals, but we're too big for me to just be running around talking to everybody all day long. I need data, right? And so I have this analogy called the world clocks, where I imagine myself walking into the way I run the organization is I'm walking into a to a you know global bank and I see all the cities up on the wall and all the times they're in. And, you know, replace those clocks uh, in the times with like, you know, KPIs and measures of, effect- of effectiveness of your field, figure out what they should be and then figure out which ones are off. And then that's where we kind of drive all of our, our resources, right? So it's, we're very grounded in the world of clocks data. I've also, um, re- I'm a big fan of the V2MOM process from my days at Salesforce. And so now when we talk about OKRs, they're all grounded around five pillars. And so I, I think what I've tried to do Oh, and then and just going back every single function from onboarding to customer success obviously selling which which was where everybody starts is working on kind of dashboardizing their their business so that we can look at data because one thing that I did find when I started we we launched a new product in November and it was really interesting because we would get on calls with customer success product and product engineering And product engineering was saying, was saying one thing and customer success was saying something totally different in terms of what was going on with our customers and the product. And the issue was, it was almost, I don't want to say they were dismissing customer success, but it was difficult because customer success was not coming to the table with data. They were not coming with hardcore objectionable data that you, that was, you know, they were coming with anecdotes and how the customers feel. And that was not, changing behavior of the organization. So getting everyone to come to the table with data that is not emotional, emotionally driven and that is just like objective and it is what it is and what are we going to do about it or this is data we're going to celebrate has been a big game changer to how we run the company.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And having the right people to give those data and operationalizing things, I'm sure, is, yes. is, is as important. Uh, well, look, this has been an amazing episode. We've gone way over, and I can't thank you enough. But the one question we love to end and conclude each episode with is, uh, the older, wiser Allison, if you're looking back, maybe it's before you decide to expand into the global world and travel and teach. It could be before your first job in San Francisco. It could be before the CRO role. What advice would you give to your younger self? If there's one, one tip.
1: You know, I think about this a lot because I'm really glad that I studied journalism. And I think that actually that framework of of being very curious and and very dig, digging for the root cause of things helps me in a lot of ways. But I really wish I would have taken more economics classes. And like, I, I should have, I wish I was not so silly to think that I would never have to be in business whatsoever. Because a lot of the stuff I, ha- I know now I've had to self-teach and it's been harder to like, get up to speed, teach myself how to read a PL and and how to understand you know, certain economic trends and market trends and what have you. So it would have been, I would have had an easier time if I would have had that foundation versus having to kind of do it organically on my own.
0: Yeah, be more open is basically what I gathered from that one way or another. But at, at the same time, you never know, right? The,
1: be more open not- and also like be more like, It took me a long time to get out of my comfort zone, right? Writing was always where I was strongest. And so I just doubled down on that. And, you know, Oren Hoffman, who's one of my mentors, often talks about doubling down on your strengths and not focusing as much on improving your weakness. And I go back and forth on him with that, because I I do think that there's weaknesses that I do want to improve on and getting out of my comfort zone earlier and being comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think would have done me a lot of good.
0: Yeah, well, well said. Uh, This has been great, Allison. For everybody listening, please feel free to reach out to Allison. We will put her contact information in the show notes. And until next time, be well, be safe, and take care. Thank you. That for summer, but if your business is running QuickBooks, you'll never get a break. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one cloud financial system, no matter how big your business grows. With visibility and control of your finances, inventory, HR, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. Automate your full process with NetSuite and close your books in time. 93% of businesses surveyed increase their visibility and control since graduating from QuickBooks to NetSuite. The best news for you as an Uncharted listener is you can get their special financings as it's back. NetSuite is offering one of a kind financing program only for those ready to graduate today. Head to netsuite.com slash scale right now. That special financing is at netsuite.com slash scale. That's netsuite.com slash scale.